I want to say welcome to each one that's a part of our assembly today. If you're connected by Zoom or YouTube, we are glad for your participation at this time. We want to especially welcome our visitors and let you know that it's a blessing for you to be with us here this morning. I solicit your attention as we open God's Word together today. This morning we're going to be looking at the subject of end time events. There's a big word that's being used in theological circles today called eschatology. That's two Greek words put together means a study of the last. So essentially eschatology is a study of the last days. Right now this subject is under great discussion, probably more than any time in my life that I can remember. Of course, this is connected to current events. The terror attack on October 7th in the Middle East against the country of Israel and their retribution and the war that is ongoing because of that. These issues fill religion right now. They're filling the uh, field of politics. We see they're very dominant in our media, our news media, our social media. These things are on the minds of people more so than probably in a, in a long, long time. A few Wednesday nights ago, Brother Benny Cantwell introduced the subject about end times, and he talked about some of the false doctrines that are being taught in the world today concerning this. Even before that, I had determined that we probably needed to address this because I've had dozens of congregations with people in the community, people in the church. Again, this is on everyone's mind today. So I think it's very important that we take issues that are currently under discussion and are of prominence in people's mind, and we try to take these issues back to the Bible and look at them very clearly. We're going to read from 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 3. It says, But I fear, lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. I believe that when God delivers His message to His people through the inspired Word of God, that we can find that plan and it will be a plan of simplicity. Today, there's a lot of misinformation. There's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of error about the things that are going to happen at the end of time. The confusion, the corruption, the misunderstanding is not because God didn't deliver us a clear message it's because of Satan. The very Satan that tempted Eve and lied to her and she believed those lies and she was carried into sin. So the confusion we have about Bible subjects is not because God has not delivered the message to us. We need to properly process and rightly divide God's Word. You know, we don't go to a single passage of Scripture, look up in an index and say, give me all the information about end times, and it's contained in one passage in the Scripture. 
God did not deliver His message to us in that way. We have parts of the message starting in the Old Testament. We have foreshadowing. We have prophecy leading to the Gospels of the New Testament. And then Christ delivered uh, information about these issues to us through the times of, of His personal ministry. We go into the book of Acts and in the epistles and then into the latter stages of the New Testament and there are information places all through these sections of Scripture. And so we have to put them together. We have to gather all the information. We have to leave it in context. We have to let the Bible define itself so that we do not misunderstand. We have to determine, especially in prophecy, what is literal and what is figurative. If we miss on those things, if we miss the foundation that's given straightforward in God's Word, and then we go to prophecy and we begin to theorize about what's being taught, then we're going to have a problem. It doesn't matter how much we build on a false premise, when you get to the end, you're still going to have error. I like to think about it like a puzzle, a jigsaw puzzle. Someone told me the other day that they make a 5,000 piece jigsaw puzzle. Can you imagine the difficulty of looking through that, even having the picture in front of you about what it should look like in selecting those pieces and making sure that we get them in the right place. When we take God's Word, as Isaiah put it, we take line on line, precept on precept, a little here, a little there, we bring that information together and we can find a way to make the Bible be consistent. It does not contradict itself. When it comes to matters of end times, there's so many theories around us today that are contradictory. The Bible, God's message, does not contradict itself. On November the 4th, Mark Hayes gave a lesson here about uh, preaching to the prisoners. That It's a passage in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 through 21. Preaching to spirits in prison. And he pointed out that people have taken that little set of scriptures and they have not applied the correct interpretation to it. They've made something literal that is figurative and they have come up with doctrines that are false. And he talked about how these false doctrines indicate that people have a second chance after death to get right with God. And what a detriment that is for people to stay focused and to understand that our opportunity is during this life, not afterward. I appreciated the things that he had to say about that. And I think that we can put this subject of end times in the same category. The fact that some of the way these things are being taught give people the idea that they're going to have a second and maybe even a third chance to get their life right with God. We don't need those types of distractions, those types of things that dilute the actual message of God. So why is there so much attention being given to the doctrine of premillennialism today? 
To really understand our environment in religion today, we need to go back 50 years. Because 50 years ago, in 1973, there was a book called The Late Great Planet Earth that was written by Hal Lindsey. And it was a book about this premillennial ideology. He wrote that. It was published by a secular publisher, and 28 million copies of that book were sold. There were films produced. He wrote another book in 1980 about the Battle of Armageddon, and he stated in that book that probably the decades of the 80s was when these things would start taking place. This idea of a future kingdom, this idea of Christ coming and reigning on an earthly throne in Jerusalem. Of course, those things did not unfold in the 80s. And that theory partially weakened. People were not as interested. But then in the year 2000, the left-behind phenomenon occurred. Sixteen books written along and in accordance with this premillennial idea. Movies made. The last of these was released in January of this year called Rise of the Antichrist. Left behind a total of six movies. Eighty million copies of these books sold. A great amount of revenue gained from these movies. And so today, in 2023, people have been exposed to these ideas for many years. These ideas are entertaining. They're sensational. They create curiosity with people, and they, they want to read, they want to know more. They're reading these men's writings, and they're not going back and looking at the Bible record to see whether these things line up with God's Word. We have to take it back to the Bible. 1 John 4, verse 1, Try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Matthew 7, verse 15, Christ warned to beware of wolves in sheep's clothing. Matthew chapter 15, verse 14, Talked about the blind leading the blind and how they will all fall in the ditch. So this morning we want to take a look at the record that we have in Scriptures and we want to see what we can establish according to God's Word. Basing a whole doctrine on figurative prophetic language without regard to plain straightforward teaching of Scripture is not the process that is going to lead us to the truth. So we want to use some diagrams here. These are going to be uh, a refresher or a reminder for some of you. These things have been taught here before. But we want to take a review of the premillennial idea, that is, of a future kingdom. We want to chart it out here, and then we want to compare that to what we find in the New Testament. So this is a timeline. This timeline with the pre-mill doctrine starts on the left-hand side of the screen here with the rapture. The far right-hand side is eternity. And so this idea or these 
events that are going to take place between what they call the rapture and the end of time. As you think about going off to the right of, of the screen, that's into eternity. It is stated by this doctrine that the church will suddenly disappear and be taken up in heaven to meet Christ at the time of this rapture. There's some slight differences and details for the different shades of the doctrine of premillennialism, but all of them have in common this idea of a rapture and then the idea of an earthly kingdom of Christ. It is said by those that teach this doctrine that Jesus was sent to this earth the first time to establish an earthly kingdom, but was rejected by the Jews, so He instead established the church as a substitute for the kingdom. God was forced by evil men to, do, to put off what He planned to do. I think this certainly dilutes the value and the importance of the church to take this type of, of teaching. This doctrine is states that when the rapture occurs and the church meets Christ in the air, that there will be a judgment of these people at that time, and they will be declared righteous. And they will be in heaven with Christ. Back on earth, there's going to be a time of great tribulation. This is made up of two, three and a half year periods. These numbers are taken from prophetic language in, da in Daniel. During this time, there's going to be a lot of problems happening during this uh, seven-year period of time. It is stated that the 144 will be sealed. They will become 144,000. They will become preachers or evangelists of the gospel. There will be a lot of people killed during this time because of their belief in Christ. The Antichrist will rise to power. Even under such hardship, many will turn to Christ and be saved. And here's one of those ideas that's weaved in here about a second chance. When this rapture occurs, people in critical operations all of a sudden are going to just disappear. And you can imagine the chaos that's going to be left behind. You've probably seen the bumper, bump, bumper sticker, this vehicle will be unmanned during the rapture. So it's, the idea is when people see that, that's going to be something tangible that will make them believe in God and they will turn to God and be faithful to Him following that. The indication is that beforehand, reading God's Word and putting faith in His message and obeying Him it's not good enough. There has to be another sign to bring people to obedience to God. So at the end of this seven and a half year period is when Christ is going to come for the second time. There's going to be a resurrection of the tribulation in Old Testament saints. These people will be considered a part of this new kingdom that Christ is going to establish. This kingdom is going to be established with Christ being on the earth. One of the spin-off ideas of this is 
that the Jews are still the chosen people of the God, that, it, that they must recapture the Palestinian-controlled temple site in Jerusalem so that Christ can come and sit on His throne. This is the part that has people's attention right now as they look to the Middle East. And they think about the activities that's coming. And they're saying, you know, we're getting closer and closer to the rapture. We're getting closer and closer to the end of time. And I would state this morning that these ideas are not found in the Scripture. There is not a direct connection from the prophecy of Scripture and what might be going on in 2023 in the Middle East. We are given indications the longer that this world lasts that things will wax worse and worse and there will be evil. There's a lot of these things that the Bible teaches But we know one thing about end-time events, and that is we will not know when those things occur. People for ages have tried to go to God's Word and predict the end of time. They've tried over and over and have always been wrong all the way up to the present time. Just like Hal Lindsey was wrong about the decade of the 80s. Christ and God have stated through the Scriptures that we will not know the time of these events. And yet, it is stated that because of what's going on right now, that these things are imminent. Christ will be on His throne on the earth. Satan will be bound. He'll be bound for a thousand years. There will be complete peace on the earth because Christ's ruling will cancel out everything that's evil. When He first comes back to sit on His throne, there will be a battle of Armageddon, and He'll defeat all that's evil. Satan will have no influence in the world for this thousand-year period of time. At the close of this period, it is taught that Christ will have a second ascension. Satan will be loosed, For another time frame, referred to as a little season, Christ will be in heaven during this period of time. Christ will return a third time. He will come in the clouds. At that point, the earth will be burned up. There will be a great white throne judgment, as it is referred to. At that time, the wicked will be resurrected and judged. In a nutshell, this covers the idea of a future kingdom, of the premillennial doctrine. And we can see from this that there's a lot of theory and a lot of things that are being taught as being from the Bible that we'll notice the more we study this morning that they are not in God's Word. And I would just say to you this morning that there is theories in a lot of different areas of Scripture that men can put together and they can shift and twist things and they can create an illusion of something that seems very feasible. And they can take these figurative sections of Scripture and use them to convince people, to deceive people of things that are not taught in God's Word. A lot of this idea comes from Revelations chapter 20, so I'd like for us to read this together this morning. 
Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things he must be released for a little while. And I saw, a throne, I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the Word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. Now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison. In Revelation chapter 1 verse 1, John makes it very clear that this is a book of prophecy about things that must shortly come to pass, and it is a book that is written in symbols or in figurative language. I believe that we can take all of these passages like this, we can look at them in a correct way, and we can bring them back and join them in this puzzle with the other verses that we have throughout the Bible and we will learn that this applies to the kingdom that is currently here. A present kingdom. A kingdom that Christ currently rules as the king. We as the members of the body of Christ are His citizens. Satan is restricted to come into the church and to cause people to lose their soul. We have a hedge about us because... Christ came and He gave His life. He was buried. He was resurrected. He defeated death and Satan and came back from Hades and He established a kingdom. That kingdom now exists. And if we misunderstand that and think that this is all coming in the future, then we miss a lot of the teachings that we need to understand about the church. So let's look at the Bible pattern. Let's look at a similar chart. A timeline again. The major difference in these two diagrams, the timeline on the premillennial ideologies begins in the future with the rapture. This chart is going to start with the ascension of Christ, an act that we can read about in Scripture. Again, the end of it over on the right-hand side is going to be eternity. In Acts chapter 1, verse 9, the Bible says, Now when He had spoken these things, while they watched, He was taken up, and a cloud received Him out of their sight. After Christ's resurrection, after He was seen by many witnesses, after He left His final message, the Bible says He ascended back into heaven. He left the apostles behind, and He, he gave them a, a strict command. As He went to heaven to be seated at the right hand of the Father, to become the King over His kingdom, 
the apostles were told to stay behind, to wait at Jerusalem. We find this reading in Acts 1 verse, verse 4, And being assembled together with them, He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which He said, You have heard from Me. So these are things that we can see clearly in God's Word. Christ had taught His apostles, John 14, 15, and 16, and He had told them that He was going to send a Comforter back that would be with them, that would assist them in the establishment of this kingdom. And we see that taking place in Acts chapter 2 and verse number 2 through 4. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and that one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This was an inauguration of the kingdom of God. It was the establishment of the church. It was marked by these miraculous things that happened that are recorded in God's Word. This Word has been confirmed over and over again. We don't need another miracle to confirm the establishment of the kingdom of God. That's already been done. And we learn of that as we go to God's Word. So this kingdom was established in Acts 2. As you continue to read in that chapter, you'll read the first gospel sermon that was preached. And you will read Peter talking about the prophecies of the Messiah coming and being crowned on the throne of David. And he brings that right on down and he speaks of Christ as being both Lord and Savior. Christ became the King of His kingdom that day. The kingdom was established. In Acts 2 verse 47, the Bible says, "...and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved." The church and the kingdom being synonymous. We see that it came into existence. It was established. Christ is in heaven on His throne. How many parables are we given in the Gospels about a landowner going away and while he's gone, he left his vineyard, he left his work to, to citizens and they were, had the responsibility to do the right thing. Christ was, or that Landlord was ruling over that from a remote area. That was in a pattern that we read about. Principles that we see that apply to the fact that this kingdom has been established. And Christ is ruling over it at this time. People wonder about the thousand years. If you look at that number throughout Scripture, it means a long, complete period of time. It's used repeatedly in other places in the Bible. And if you look at that and let the Bible define that term, rather than making it a literal thousand years, then we understand that the church was established and it's going to last for a long period of time. And people will have opportunity to be a part of that church to be saved. We mentioned that Satan is bound to what he can do for those inside the church. All spiritual blessings are found in Christ Jesus. We come into Christ Jesus through obeying the gospel. 
There's no one that can get to us and separate us from God when we become a child of His except us. If we make a choice to walk away from God, but within this kingdom of heaven, Satan is limited in what he can do. After this long period of time, Christ is going to come a second time. There's never a third coming of Christ mentioned anywhere in Scripture. There's never a second ascension of Christ mentioned anywhere in Scripture. In fact, Scripture does not teach that Christ will ever set His feet on this earth again. But He's coming, He's coming in the clouds, and at that time, this earth will be destroyed, and that judgment will take place at that time. There will be a resurrection of all, essentially simultaneously in the same short period of time, all of these things are going to happen, and it's going to be when the trump sounds and when Christ comes again that we sang about this morning in our song. This is the teaching of the Bible. There will be a judgment of all. At that point, there will be a great separation of the sheep and the goats. The goats will be sent to eternal damnation. The sheep will be sent to be saved in heaven for all eternity. So we see some differences. Even though we've laid these out side by side, there are some very striking differences. A future kingdom prophesied in the doctrine of premillennialism, a present doctrine taught in God's Word. What about New Testament teaching concerning the nature of the kingdom? In Luke 17, verse 21, Christ said, The kingdom of God is within you. In John 18, verse 36, Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. This is our Savior speaking about His kingdom. Can a literal earthly kingdom in Jerusalem be inside of us? Can it be not of this world? See how these ideas contradict other pieces? They don't fit into the puzzle because they create contradictions. The more we try to make those pieces fit and force them into place, the more we see that these ideas are not congruent with other Scripture. Ephesians 6.12 speaks of our battle being against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Do you know that Herod believed there would be a physical kingdom? That's why he went after Christ as he was an infant. Do you know Peter believed there would be a physical kingdom? Is why he drew his sword and took off the ear of Malchus. He was going to take it in his own hands. Do you know those Jews that praised Christ as he rode into the city of Jerusalem just a few days before his crucifixion? They were convinced that Christ was going to have a physical kingdom and He was going to defeat all the enemies and they were going to have the preeminence in this world. They were mistaken about that. 
Over and over again, people have been mistaken about this kingdom, thinking that it would be an earthly kingdom, when in reality, it is a spiritual kingdom. What about Christ's kingship? 1 Corinthians 15 speaks of Christ coming at the second coming where there's a great resurrection, and it speaks of Him delivering His kingdom back to God. Not that He's going to come here and establish a kingdom and stay here. He already has that kingdom. When He comes again, He's going to deliver that back to God. Here's one of those parables that I referred to earlier. Speaking about this nobleman that went into a far country. As he left, he received the kingdom. Christ descended from this earth. He received the kingdom. He is presently ruling over it. And the test of his citizens is going to happen right now. Not later. Not with an earthly kingdom. Not with the rapture. It's happening right now. And it's dependent upon our choices to follow God and to honor Him. When He returns back the second time, those who are saints will be rewarded with a home in heaven. Those that are sinners will be sent to eternal damnation. Christ's second coming is a significant biblical event. And probably to me, this is the strongest thing against this idea of a future kingdom. We're just going to review some of this, but we're going to notice that the last day, the day of the Lord, the day of judgment, and the resurrection, they're all spoken of in the singular, and they all overlap, as we said. In a very short period of time, every one of these things are going to happen. And these are straightforward statements, many of them from Christ. They're not prophetic statements They're not statements that are written in figurative language. The last day. Here are several passages, and we're going to notice just one. John 5, 28 and 29. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear His voice and come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Notice the time factor that's given here. For this hour is coming, and all of this is going to happen in this hour. And notice, there's going to be a resurrection of both the good and the evil. Did you notice on this premillennial timeline that there's some Old Testament saints and some other Christians during the tribulation that are resurrected at one time, and then a thousand years and a little season later, the wicked are resurrected. The same hour, the good and the evil will be resurrected. And this is said to be in the last day. Remember that term, eschatology? Study of the last? Here it is. This is the last day. This is the last time this earth will have any life. On that day, this earth is going to be burned up. It's going to be over. At that time, there's going to be a judgment. Notice the day of the Lord. 
2 Peter 3.10, 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5 speak of the day of the Lord. The day of judgment. The, it's singular, and day, and even hour. It's all in a short period of time. As it is taught in all of these different passages. The resurrection. Now I understand there's a spiritual resurrection when we obey the gospel and we come up out of the waters of baptism and we arise to walk a new life. That's a different resurrection than a physical resurrection. In Scripture we do not read about but one physical resurrection. It is the resurrection and as we put all of this information together we see that all of this is happening when Christ comes again the second time. Notice these statements. A judgment will be at the end. Or this judgment, the judgment will be at the end. Judgment will be at the last day. The coming of the Lord and the day of the Lord are the same. The way we know this is because we're taking these passages, we're lining them up together, and they're mentioning several things within a single passage to let us know that they're talking and they're referring about a single thing that's going to happen when Christ returns again, or a set of things that are going to happen when Christ comes again. The coming of the Lord and the day of the Lord are the same. The judgment will be at His coming. The destruction of earth will be at His coming. Here's a dozen scriptures given in a straightforward manner so that we can easily understand them and they have all of these things happening at the second coming of Christ. How can we fit those puzzle pieces? If we were to take one of those jigsaw puzzles and attach a scripture to each one and we come and we try to fit it together so that we have unity of the teaching of scripture so that we find the simplicity of Christ, how are we going to make that work? when we've got a future kingdom, when we've got more than one, more than two comings. Christ came and here to carry out His personal ministry and He's coming one more time to receive His kingdom. You see, these things will not fit. That's why we know that they've been manufactured by someone other than God and have been promoted somewhere other than truly from Scripture. Revelations 20, verse 7, we read that together earlier. What could that be talking about? I mentioned that there's a lot of those elements, if we use them figuratively, that describe what we have right now in the church. And I believe that's exactly the way this passage applies. Here's some things that Revelations 20 must teach to prove a future kingdom. The second coming of Christ is not mentioned in Revelations 20. A bodily resurrection of saints is not mentioned in Revelations 20. A literal throne of David on this earth is not mentioned in Revelations 20. Christ setting foot on this earth is not mentioned in Revelations 20. Go back and read it again. Look for these key things that have to be taught in that passage for it to be true. 
Revelations 22:18. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. We need to be very, very careful about adding to what the book of Revelations is teaching. The book of Revelations teaches the final victory of Christ and those that follow after Him. Chapter 20 is a kingdom passage which speaks in figurative language of what Christians have enjoyed in the church from its beginning and by extension what we presently enjoy in the church. I want to finish up this morning and address this idea, are the Jews God's chosen people today? One of the elements of the premillennial doctrine is that when Christ comes and establishes His throne, all of the Jews are going to be to get gathered back together and they're going to start animal sacrifice again. They're going to bring all the rituals of the old law in and they're going to be a part of this thousand year reign. There's a misunderstanding of the dividing of the covenants. There's a misunderstanding of very clear teaching in the New Testament that the hierarchy of the Jewish nation rejected Christ. And when we begin to read in Matthew 24 about the destruction that's going to happen there, it's about the destruction of Jerusalem that came about because the nation of the Jews rejected Christ. Now the common people, we're told, many of them certainly were Jews that obeyed in the first century. In fact, they, they were literally made up of Jews for about three years until it was taken to the Gentiles. The Jews were not ruled against if they accepted the gospel of Christ. If they accepted the Messiah that was sent, that was prophesied to the nation of Israel all through the books of the Old Testament. All of those prophecies look forward to a time that the Messiah would come. Also in the Old Testament was a warning to the nation of the Jews if they rejected God, what would, be, what would happen to them. We have Scripture after Scripture. And then we see that history unfold and we see the Jews rejected Christ until this day those who practice the Mosaical Law will not accept Jesus. Brother Gerald Bedwell several months ago preached a lesson about we can't have the Father without the Son. And that's the absolute truth. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Anyone that rejects Christ is not the seed of Abraham. They are not the chosen people of God. In fact, it's those who embrace Christ, who through grace and faith obey, and they are brought into Christ. These are the ones that the New Testament teaches are the seed of Abraham. There's no indication that today there's preferential treatment for the Jews. We need to be praying for what's going on in the Middle East. There's a lot of, of pain. There's a lot of destruction. There's a lot of lives being lost. 
All of these things are against the principles that we're taught as the people of God. And we need to pray for peace in that scenario. But I do not believe that we need to be praying that people who have rejected Christ will be accepted by God. When we pray that, when we wish for that, when we think that's what's going to happen, we're going against the teaching of God's Word. We have used some verses that we didn't have on the screen. We do have a chart with a lot of these verses on it, and if you want more information, we'll take time to study any of this with you going forward. Notice this passage, Galatians 3, 28-29. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And especially look at verse 29. If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Which of these ideas, which of these teachings are more consistent with the whole Bible? The idea of a present kingdom or of a future kingdom? As we conclude the words that we want to share for this morning in our lesson, we want to conclude by asking this question, are you ready for the return of Christ? We sang about it this morning. We've talked about it. There's a second coming of Christ. We don't know when that's going to happen. Are you ready for Christ to come again? There's no doubt that we are unprepared unless we are a child of God. If you understand the requirements of the gospel of Christ, and you would be willing to confess Jesus as the Son of God and be baptized today, you can leave this building as a member of the kingdom of God. Don't put that off. There's not going to be a second or a third chance along the way. Let's take care of it today. Let's be focused that we follow God while we have time and opportunity. If you have obeyed the gospel and you're not right with God, if you have weakness in your life, if you have things that you would ask for the prayers of the church, we would like to invite you to come forward as well. One of either class, come as we stand and sing the song of invitation.